favorite Christmas song that you probably never heard of. It's a song by Michael Card that came out back in the mid-1980s, and it's called The Final Word. I can't sing it because it's too high for me, and I wouldn't dare try to follow what you just heard anyway. So if you'll indulge me, I would like to read the lyrics to you. And I'd like to invite you to recall what Beth Ann read to you just a little while ago. You and me, we use so very many clumsy words. The noise of what we often say isn't worth being heard. When the Father's wisdom wanted to communicate his love, he spoke it in one final perfect word. He spoke the incarnation. And then so was born the Son. His final word was Jesus. He needed no other one. He spoke flesh and blood so he could bleed and make a way divine. And so was born the baby who would die to make it mine. And so the father's fondest thought took on flesh and bone and he spoke the living, luminous word. And at once his will was done. And so the transformation that in man had been unheard took place in God the Father as he spoke the final word. And so the light became alive and manna became man. Eternity stepped into time so that we could understand because he spoke the incarnation and so was born the Son. His final word was Jesus. He needed no other one. He spoke flesh and blood so that he could bleed. I make a way divine. So was born a baby who would die to make it mine. That's the final word by Michael Card. Christmas time every year has become more and more poignant to me for reasons that I could not have comprehended when I was a little kid or even when I was a young Christian man. And that's because I didn't understand and appreciate the cosmic drama that is represented in the Christmas story. That, that story is one of the most revelatory you'll ever experience. And the funny thing is, is most of us know it by heart. We've heard Linus tell it every year in the Charlie Brown Christmas. We've, we've seen the story portrayed in all sorts of ways, but we, t we often overlook the cosmic supernatural side of this story. See, we're creatures living within a, a sort of biosphere. It's hard for us to comprehend because God has so fearfully and wonderfully constructed this time and space continuum that we live in so that we can't imagine things outside of it. We're, we're a little bit like people living in a terrarium. You know, our time and space bubble is so sophisticated that only God the Father who created it really understands how it works. But we're beginning to get a grasp of it. We're beginning to understand that there is this envelope within which we reside that is surrounded by a vast creation that's beyond our comprehension, but all around us. And it is the place where the Heavenly Father dwells. It's, it's the place that Christ came from. 
And so it really is unbelievable that this woman, Mary, would be greeted from one of the creatures of that realm that we cannot see and told that she's going to bear the child of God, the creator, the supreme being. <laughs> Furthermore, his father on earth, Joseph, is given a similar message and both of them must have been unable to comprehend what they heard, but in faith they accepted it. There's this cosmic drama that has as much to do with things we don't understand and don't see as it does the things we do know. And so while we understand that this virgin named Mary conceived the Son of God by the Holy Spirit, and she and Joseph followed God's plan that meticulously fulfilled every prophetic thing that had ever been said, and yet we don't even recognize, if we're not careful, the symbols and the signs and even the occasional rupture in the fabric of our envelope called space-time. That star that led the Magi to the place where Jesus was born, that star that seemed to be with this baby from the moment of his conception all the way to the night of his birth, that star, I believe, as well with all my heart, was not a a, a astrological event. It was a hole in the fabric of space-time. It was literally a portal to the realm that is reality. And you know why it was there? Because God became man and he started out as an embryo, one of the most vulnerable of all living people. And then you know that God has an enemy. You remember as we talked last week about how God's enemy sought to create counterfeits of the real truth, the truth in love that comes from God, from the tree of life, and these counterfeit things are all around us and they're always there to lure us away from the truth. And you gotta understand that nothing but evil comes from the seething heart of the enemy. And the enemy would destroy Jesus and fulfill his destiny if he could, except that he doesn't understand and does not comprehend the divine nature of this child and the divine protection that is upon this child. And so a cosmic war is on the brink in this birth event that we celebrate every year around this time. And what's at stake? Well, it's sort of about us, but it's about a lot more. We are created in this bubble for a sacred existence. Now, God didn't make the bubble. God made a time and space uh, outside, uh, I should say he made Eden outside of time and space and we were part of that until sin entered in and then he protected us from the very thing that we embraced so recklessly that is sin. And God has a plan to restore us to that for his son. The father's love for the son is so extraordinary that nothing 
could please the Father more than to create the perfect companion for his son. And he hasn't given up on that companion, which is you and me, the church, the body. We are the ones that were made for that purpose and it infuriates the enemy and it delights the Lord every time you remember that that's who you are and what you were made for. And so... You're fighting as a, as, a, as a creature and yet an equal with the sun. You see, when the sun came, God's final word was spoken. Plain and simple. The word, the mind and heart of God expressed in a person who would then redeem all of creation from this fatal mistake in judgment that led to the condition we are in and this son, the final word of God, will defeat God's enemy. That part's not really about us and much of what you read in the New Testament especially refers to how God is going to deal with the enemy. But as for you and me, the way God deals with us is to invite us to his table in peace and reconciliation. And to remember every time we take the sign of the bread and the cup that we have been reclaimed and reset from the inside out with the Holy Spirit so that we would be the breath of heaven. John Wesley and Charles Wesley understood this. Charles's hymns are so magnificent. I want to read some more music to you. And I want you to think about what Charles said sometime in the mid-1700s. Let earth and heaven combine, angels and men agree to praise in songs divine the incarnate deity, in other words, God in the flesh, incomprehensibly made man. He laid his glory by, he wrapped him in our clay. Unmarked by human eye, the latent Godhead lay. Infant of days, he here became. In other words, he was outside of space and time and he took on a temporal life that has limits and bore the mild Emmanuel's name. You remember Emmanuel means God with us. Unsearchable the love that has the Savior brought, the graces far above of men and angels thought. Suffice for us that God, we know, our God is manifest below. He deigns in the flesh to appear, widest extremes to join. Think about that. He's really trying to marvel in these words at the vastness of this crazy proposition that occurred when Christ was born. To bring our vileness near and make us all divine. And we, the life of God, shall I know, for God is manifest below, made perfect, first in love and sanctified by grace. We shall from earth remove and see his glorious face. His love shall then be fully showed and man shall all be lost in God. Isn't that remarkable? It's what I've said about the hymns for as long as I've been a pastor. You can 
preach a sermon for 30 minutes that doesn't say as well as something Charles Wesley can write in a poem with four stanzas. And there it is, right there. Let earth and heaven combine. So, as I've said to you many, many times, you will see the enemy in the chaos and the oppression. You will see our Lord at work in cosmic order and you will know the difference because the signs of God's intervention will bring light to the darkness. Make no mistake about it, that portal in space-time that we call the Star of Bethlehem, you know what I think it is? Now, some of you boys and overgrown boys will understand this analogy. It's like in the summertime when you play with a magnifying glass at a tiny ant's expense. Yes, you're chuckling because you know. Did you ever think that all the glory of heaven was concentrated on a little small thing that we call the star of Bethlehem, but in fact it's the intensity magnified as if to say to the enemy, get anywhere near him and you're going to be an ant. You're going to be a crispy critter. The glory of heaven concentrated in small openings in the fabric of space-time is something of a force to be reckoned with. No wonder Mary's perfect response to this good news that Christ would come through her in this most extraordinary way was, my soul magnifies the Lord. Let us pray. Thank you, God, for your word. For your sake, burn it upon our hearts, we pray. Amen.